Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I have been presenting a series of broadcasts on the subject of prayer, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was trying to emphasize the point at the end of the previous broadcast that we often pray for things that God never came to give. We're often praying for things out of the desires of our heart, and these are things that the Lord never came to address. He never came to fulfill. These are things that people are praying for that he really has no interest in fulfilling, that they are just simply not part of what he is doing here on earth. It is not the focus. It is not the intent of what he is primarily doing. Now, even though I say that, that does not mean that the Lord is not going to answer these prayers or fulfill these prayers. I am only saying this from a general point of view. I cannot say this in all cases. And I have plenty of examples that show that the Lord has answered prayers and done things for people that are certainly outside of the boundaries of what I would consider to be the things that the Lord is primarily focused on. I have plenty of examples that show that. That is absolutely not what I am saying. I am only saying this from a general perspective, from a general point of view that in general people are asking God for things that he never came to give. And in saying that, the main reason why I do say that is to emphasize the importance that people are often rejecting those things that God did come to give, that our God gave us as a result of his death, as a result of his resurrection, and as a result of his resurrecting us and restoring himself back within us. And so with his presence within us, he has given us himself. He has given us everything of who He is. He has provided us a relationship that we can experience with Him. And in most cases, people are not interested in having a relationship with God. In most cases, people are wanting to look to God. They're wanting to look at God as though He is the great gumball machine in the sky. That's how most people that I encounter when dealing with the subject of prayer seem to perceive their God, seem to perceive their Creator. And I honestly, I just don't see it that way. I honestly see that our God has truly given us so much. He has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And this is a passage that I was quoting in the previous broadcast that is 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 where he said, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And so if you have been given everything that you need for life and godliness, what do you suppose he left out? Well, in most cases, people devote their lives to asking God for things. And in doing so, I believe in most cases, they reject the notion that they have already been given everything that they need for life and godliness. So this is what I was emphasizing in the previous broadcast. Let me continue on addressing some specific scripture passages that many people are using in order to assert their particular perspectives on the subject of prayer. Let's consider Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 19 to verse 22. 
where it says, And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive." Now, in many cases, people will take this verse in Scripture and they will they will use it as the formula, again, a formula for presenting prayer, where they say that as long as you believe, if you ask something believing that you're going to receive it, if you only have the faith of a mustard seed, and so you need to have enough faith, obviously, or at least this is what people are teaching, you need to have enough faith and you need to pray really believing that what you are asking for is going to be done. If this is the case, then you can move a mountain and throw it into the sea. Now, I personally do not know of any examples in history when anyone has ever, through their prayer, removed a mountain to the extent where it has been lifted from the ground, per se, and thrown into the sea. I don't know of any occasions when that has happened. That doesn't mean that it won't happen. I sincerely do not expect it to happen. But the point is, is that people will use this and they will say, look, the problem with your prayers is that you don't believe that you're going to receive what it is that you're praying for. You're not really praying with enough faith. You don't have enough faith. And if you only had enough faith, then you would get whatever you ask for. Now, there are a lot of people who sincerely believe this. And there are many people who teach it who don't really believe it themselves, but they teach it anyway because that's what a lot of people want to hear. But there are a lot of people who sincerely believe this, and there are some tremendous side effects to this. There is a huge amount of pressure that can be placed upon a person with this kind of a belief of this passage, of this section in Scripture. Suppose, for example, that you pray for a mountain to be removed from where it is and thrown into the ocean, and it does not happen. Well, what are the kinds of conclusions that you're going to come to if that's the case? One conclusion can be as simple as, well, I guess I did not have enough faith. I guess I really didn't believe that that was going to happen, and so because of my lack of faith, because of my lack of belief, it didn't happen. If only I had enough faith, if only I had enough belief, and that's what people start thinking. They start thinking that their ability to have their prayers answered depends on them. It depends on what they believe. It depends on their conviction. It depends on them. And this completely takes God out of the equation. It effectively makes them into the one who has the power. And if God does it, it is only his response to their deep conviction and their total faith and belief in what they believe, as opposed to necessarily what he might think, or what he believes, or whether he wants to do something or not. It is a statement of pressure. It is a huge amount of pressure that is put on someone. And there are many people that I have encountered who sincerely pray and sincerely believe and sincerely have faith. And yet when things don't happen, they feel crushed. They feel deeply injured and hurt. And they wonder, how will they ever have the right amount of faith? How will they ever be able to pray effectively? And so they start attending conferences and meetings and they start reading books and listen to various audio series that people produce on the subject of prayer with hopes that they might be able to figure out 
what they need to do in order to get their prayers answered, not understanding that the power is still of God. He retains all power. There is no power in prayer. There are a lot of people who believe this, I understand that, but there is no power in prayer. Trust me, I honestly do not believe, I totally reject, I absolutely totally reject the notion that there is any power in prayer. There is no power in prayer, there is only power in God. Our God is the one who holds, retains, controls, sustains, maintains, and keeps within himself all total power. There is no power in being able to pray, not in that context of being able to do things and move things and have things happen. You are not the cause of any effect. You are not the dynamic of your own demands. He is the one who chooses and decides what he is going to do. And you are not going to manipulate God into doing anything. Trust me. Now, when I say it that way, you might say, well, of course I don't want to manipulate God. But deep down in many people's beliefs, that is what they believe, even though they will deny it to no end. They will die before accepting the reality that maybe they're being manipulative. But they truly really are, and yet they just don't see it. That's the problem. They just don't see it. But understand that the Lord God holds all power. He is the one who holds all power in his very word, in his very hand, in his very self. And there is no one that he shares power with. Trust me. He is the only one. He is the only God of this universe. And there is only one God. I have talked with a lot of witches, and I mean witches in the sense of people who believe in witchcraft and follow the doctrines and teachings of the historical witchcraft that has been perpetuated for centuries. They sincerely believe in the power of prayer. This is a phrase that I use when communicating with them in order to establish proper communication and defining terms. It's very common for me to share with them that I do not believe in the power of prayer. They believe in the power of prayer. They believe that the vast majority of their rituals and their religious rites are effectively prayers in order to control, manipulate, and invoke their will upon the world that is around them. That's what they believe, one of their primary tenets and one of the primary purposes for their rituals and their religion is to try and manipulate and control their environment through their prayers, and in general they do it for the benefit of others, or at least that's their perception, that they only do this for the benefit of others, perhaps even themselves, but it is to try to bring about a greater harmony in the world, not really an attempt to try and invoke or perpetrate evil on people. That's one of the primary tenets of witchcraft and something that I believe has crept into the church and is certainly a part of a lot of theology that many people believe in Christianity, not understanding that it corresponds and parallels very well with witchcraft. Of those witches that I've spoken to, they see this, they know this, and it's one of the reasons why they reject Christianity. It is a very difficult barrier to get past that I have found when I have spoken with many witches about salvation and about what the Lord Jesus has really accomplished for me is that is that they have this preconceived idea about what prayer is and about what Christianity is because that is truly what is predominantly being taught. It is a form of witchcraft, and they are just simply being what they feel more honest about what they believe and what they are doing, whereas many Christians are not in their perception. And so that's a very important issue to at least be aware of, that there are many things that correspond in that sense, and I certainly do not want to take away from the truth and the reality that our God, he retains all power and authority. 
When looking at Matthew chapter 21, verses 19 to 22, one thing that people tend to neglect is what he says about the mustard seed. Or more specifically, in Matthew chapter 17, actually, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, is when he refers to the mustard seed. I was only thinking about that as it corresponds because he is referring to a mountain. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, the Lord Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. That's what I was referring to. I was thinking of that when I was thinking about the passage in Matthew chapter 21 when the Lord Jesus again made reference to a mountain. That the important thing to understand here, again, is that the size of your faith doesn't matter. It is not about the size of your faith. The size of a person's faith can be that of a mustard seed. The issue is do you have a great God? Do you have a powerful God? That's the important issue. Another way to look at this is to consider the parallel passage in Mark. In Mark chapter 11, there is a parallel passage with regards to this scenario talking about the fig tree. There is another point of view to consider when considering this idea of prayer and getting your prayers answered. Consider Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, where Mark wrote, For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. This is another point of view that I was referring to in the first broadcast on this subject, and that is that if you think that God is going to respond to you, well then here's another qualification. While you're praying, make sure that you have forgiven everyone of anything that they have ever done to you, against you. Make sure you do that, and if you have not, then your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. You are obviously under His curse, and if that's the case, what makes you think that you're going to get any of your prayers answered? Especially because, obviously, you don't really believe that He has given you the power to actually perform this forgiveness. These are the kinds of subjects that start coming up as a result of the subject of prayer. And we can go into a lot of directions as a result of this, a lot of issues that really need to be considered, that really need to be referred to if we're going to suggest that we have some power, if we're going to suggest that we have some authority over God. There are many passages in scriptures that people look at from this context and don't look at the whole context. They don't look at the whole subject. The bottom line is very simple. Your God may answer your prayer and move that mountain and throw it into the ocean. And I'm not willing to say that he won't do that because I know my God and if he wants to do it, he will. But that's what it's going to come down to. It's not going to come down to your faith. It's not going to come down to your conviction or your deep belief. It's only going to come down to his decision, to his choice. And if he puts it on your heart to pray for that and he does that, then by all means, praise the Lord. I have nothing to say about that whatsoever. What I do have to say, however, is when people assume that he is obligated to respond to them in a certain way because they have fulfilled what they believe is the requirements for him to respond in the manner that they want him to. And that's when things get twisted. That's when things get really perverted. Do not forget the truth and the reality that your God is a person. He is a person. 
and he has a will, and he has the ability to choose, and he has the ability to decide, and he gets to choose and decide when he is going to intervene and when he is not going to intervene. And this is a really hard pill for a lot of people to swallow, especially when it comes to the subject of prayer. And that is that your God most certainly has the power to answer every prayer you give. He has the power to intervene in any way you want. He has the power and the authority to change all circumstances in your life. He certainly does. But people are assuming that because he has that power, because he has that authority, he is then responsible for all the circumstances in a person's life. He is responsible. And if the circumstances are not going in the way that a person wants them to go then they will say that he is ultimately responsible because he has the power to do something about it. And then they pass judgment on God to say that he didn't do what he should have done. And they say things like, he is not a good God. He is not a righteous God because he should have done this. This is something that he obviously wants to do. I can tell by his character and by his being that he doesn't want me to experience any pain or suffering. This is the kind of thought process that many people go through. And they blame him and they say that he is now at fault. And he is the one who is evil because he had the power to change my circumstances and he didn't. And this is what people think. But I've got to tell you, my friend, that there is a lot more going on than just your desires, than just what you want him to do, just what he wants to do in some occasions, because he has made it very clear that he is not going to interfere with, where exceptions, of course, with the will of man. And he is going to give everyone the ability to choose to do good or evil. And, of course, in most cases, people do evil. But the point is, is that he is going to give people the right to decide what they are going to do. And I have news for you if you haven't noticed this already. There is sin in the world. There is. There is sin all around you. And people are evil. People are wicked. People are pursuing sin because that's all that they have at their disposal. I mean, we could give a lot of reasons as to why that happens. But it doesn't neglect the fact that our God has given everyone the freedom to choose to do, to decide, and yes, on occasion, you're going to suffer as a result of someone else's choices. That's just the way things are. Your God has set that up for the purpose of being able to accomplish many other things. In order to accomplish many other things, he has to allow sin to be in the world. There are many things. I'm not going to get into that for the sake of time in this broadcast. I'll just have to cut it short at that point and just simply mention that just because he has the power to change the circumstances, that doesn't mean that you hold him completely and ultimately responsible for all the circumstances. He has given people the ability and the freedom to choose. So when people talk about the power of prayer, you've got to be really careful with that. You have to be very, very careful with that. Instead, what normally happens is the great pressure of prayer. There is a huge amount of pressure that gets placed on people when this subject comes up. It really does. Because when your prayers don't get answered, then all attention begins to turn to you. That's right. When your prayers are not answered the way that you want them to be answered, and you let somebody know especially then all attention is going to start turning to you. People are going to think, well, this is a person who doesn't really believe. This is a person who doesn't really have that much conviction. This is a person who doesn't have enough faith. Or, what's even worse, is that they say that your prayers weren't answered because you have too much sin in your life. How is that going to feel? How is that really going to feel? A huge amount of pressure is placed on people. 
There are other ways that pressure is placed on people when it comes to the subject of prayer. Let me give you an example. Let's consider what would happen if I came to you and I asked you to pray for me. I may have a deep need that I really need some prayer for, or I would at least feel better if people were praying for me. Either way, no matter what the origin of that is, if I come to you and I ask you to pray for me, what happens if you don't? What happens if you don't do that? If you don't do that, I might come back to you and ask you, why didn't you pray for me? Don't you know, don't you understand that because of the lack of your prayers, my circumstances didn't change? It's all your fault. You didn't pray properly, or not enough people prayed properly, or prayed enough, and so because of that, my circumstances didn't change. We weren't able to successfully build the correct memorial before God, and so that He would hear us. We weren't loud enough. We didn't have enough numbers behind us, and so God did not hear the prayers, and so my life is being ruined as a result of your failure to pray for me. This sounds like a really vicious, cruel attitude, doesn't it? It should, because it is. It really is a very mean-spirited attitude to blame someone else for what happens in your life. But a lot of people do that. And a lot of people put a lot of pressure on others in this way, either directly, outright, or indirectly. I received a lot of responses when I asked some people to tell me about their perspectives on prayer. And some people sincerely felt this way. They really did believe that because someone did not pray for them adequately, that their circumstances did not work out the way that God really wanted them to work out. Or because a person did not pray in the way or in the amount that that person expected this other to pray. Because of that, this person is not really a good person. They're not really a righteous person. They shouldn't really be in the situation that they're in. They shouldn't be in the position that they are in because they did not pray in the way or in the amount or in the time or in the manner that this person thought that they should be praying. There is all kinds of judgment that gets passed on people. There is a lot of pressure that is put on many people when it comes to the subject of prayer, and I find it to be very, very unfortunate. Especially internally, as I was referring to earlier, a lot of people, they really feel a lot of personal pressure and say things like, I must have some sin in my life. In fact, if I thought about it enough, I could probably find a list of things that God is holding against me. And so because of that, he's not really answering my prayers. There are a lot of people who are taught this, and so they believe it, and they live their life with it, and they assume that they have to get their life completely cleaned up. They assume that they have to get perfect. They have to become practically as righteous as Jesus Christ himself in order to get any of their prayers answered. There are people who actually live this way who live their life this way, and they practically cross their fingers and raise them above their ears, hoping and praying that maybe they'll make it into heaven because obviously they don't have a good, sound relationship with God as is qualified and described by the lack of prayers being answered in their life. There are several other things that people consider when talking about the subject of prayer. For example, there's the National Day of Prayer. And I certainly do not want to discourage anyone from participating in the National Day of Prayer, but one of the common themes of this Day of Prayer is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, where it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. 
This is the theme that many people go by during this time of prayer and during many other times of prayer. And I remember when this was first presented, I remember hearing about this. And the first thing that came to my mind was the day will come when somebody's going to get on the radio and start asking who's not praying. The day will come because the land is not really going to be healed in this manner. There are many reasons why, and I can't get into that in this broadcast, but certainly I could tell just by my geopolitical and economic background, I could tell that based on the way things were, this is not going to happen. And so I figured, I assumed, I really considered that at some point somebody would get on the radio and ask who isn't praying. And sure enough, several years later, that's what happened. Someone got on the radio, got on one of the most popular broadcasts, especially when it comes to the National Day of Prayer, and they were asking the question, who is not praying? They said, the time has come when we need to start asking, who is not praying? That's right. It's all your fault. It's because we weren't able to get enough people to pray. That's the problem. That's what people believe. A lot of people believe that. And there's a massive amount of pressure that then gets imposed on us as people. As people of God, it becomes our fault. It becomes we are the blame because we couldn't get enough of a gang together to gang up on God and get him to do what we want him to do. That's the kind of attitude that eventually gets personified in most cases when people take this point of view, when people assume that this is how we get God to respond to us. Now, I understand that a lot of people live by this, and a lot of people will be offended by me saying such things. I understand that. Please just understand that this is what I personally believe, and so this is what I'm going to tell you, that there is no power in prayer, there's only power in God, and there are many opportunities to use this as a means of beating on people. There really is, and I just want you to be sensitive to that. I want you to think about that as a Christian. Think about that when you're talking about the subject of prayer, when you're asking people to pray, when you're demanding that people pray for you, things like that. Just at least give it some thought. Consider being respectful towards others and understand that not everybody's going to do what you want them to do. And you cannot blame them and you cannot blame God for your circumstances because there is sin in the world and you're not going to be able to get away from it. It is going to be a part of your life and I don't mean to say that to justify it in any way whatsoever, but only to express the point that we have an active participant, a living God, who is actively involved, but he does not interfere with everything that happens in our lives because he is not the only participant in our lives. And this is set up for a purpose, and that is so that we can have other opportunities to grow in our relationship with him. And that is something that is better explained in another broadcast. There isn't time for it in this program. But just at least consider that. It is very important. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. 